We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Welcome to Overwatch, the show where you get a unique viewpoint on current events, politics, finance, cybersecurity and trends, prophecy in the end times, religion, and the paranormal. Airing only on Firefall Talk Radio and the Firefall Network, I'm Richard Grund. You may not always agree with our point of view, but you will be challenged, informed, and hopefully inspired to do research to know more. When I decided to do this show, I wanted it to be different, not your typical talking head podcast. We will cover topics that apply to the Overwatch concept in parts and even shorter topic-driven podcasts on a weekly basis. We will have reports from other people. We will expand our scope and hope that you will be inspired to be with us every week. Make sure you subscribe to Firefall Talk Radio to know when a new show is posted or scheduled. We believe that these shows have been the best shows ever done on Firefall Talk Radio. Well-researched, informative, thought-provoking, and at times controversial. In stating the truth, historical, researchable truth, we may place ourselves in the crosshairs of those who despise the truth at a time, when there is an overreaction to the facts. We will tell the truth no matter what, even if our voice shakes while doing it. However, that does not mean we can be foolish. We understand the ripple effect that light has on those hiding in the darkness. We must be wise as serpents and meek as doves as we shine the light of truth. This multi-part report is on the deep state. The deep state is not just dug in, but are sewn into the fabric of our government, banking system, intelligence system, media, and the very nation itself. But let's start at the beginning, the very beginning. The Pilgrims landed in Plymouth in 1620. 102 passengers left Plymouth, England, headed to Jamestown, Virginia, but bad weather and navigational errors sent them to Massachusetts. Only 35 of these passengers were of the English Separatist Church who left to escape the corrupt Church of England. Under the direction of William Bradford, they decided to emigrate to an English colony in Jamestown, Virginia, but they never made it. The rest of the passengers are very interesting, and we must take note of them. They were a group of investors known as the London Adventurers, who invested in the trip for a large share of the colony's potential profits. After a rough winter, Governor William Bradford invited the local Native Americans to celebrate their harvest, which we now call Thanksgiving. By the mid-1640s, Plymouth's population numbered 3,000 people. But by then, the settlement had been overshadowed by the larger Massachusetts Bay Colony to the north, settled by the Puritans in 1629. 
The London Adventurers, also known as the Merchant Adventurers, were a group of English investors who capital funded the Pilgrim's Voyage on the Mayflower. The joint stock company they invested in hoped to make a profit from the fur trade, from fishing, and from any other method that they could invent. Well, their investment never paid off, as illness during the first year and subsequent ships of goods sinking or being seized by pirates offered them no return on their investment. From this point onward, the new colonies and eventual nation created would be at the behest and control of men with money. Take out a U.S. dollar if you don't believe me. Look at the back on the left side, granted equal space with the American eagle symbol on the right is an eye and a pyramid. That eye above the pyramid is a Masonic symbol produced by a secret society that has influenced Americans' history from the beginning. In Masonic lore, the pyramid symbol is known as the Eye of God. However, it's actually the all-seeing Eye of Horus, the Egyptian god. Many Americans celebrate our founding fathers and all that they did to help create our country. And well, they should. But we must take a deeper look at those men, who they were, what they believed, and what they were involved in. What few Americans know is that many of the Founding Fathers were also Freemasons. Some of the more notable Founding Fathers that were Masons were George Washington, Ben Franklin, who was the head of the Pennsylvania chapter, Paul Revere led a Massachusetts chapter, John Hancock, and Chief Justice John Marshall, who greatly influenced the shaping of the Supreme Court. Altogether, it's believed that nine of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence were Masons, and about 13 of the 39 that signed the U.S. Constitution were also Masons. The Freemasons of the United States originated in England. Now yeah, we're back to England. Isn't it amazing how we can't get free of the English? And became a popular association for the leaders of the colonial citizens after the first American Lodge was founded in New Jersey, of all places, in 1730. Allegiance to the Masons captured the interest of much of early America's elite Masonic brothers pledged to support one another and provide sanctuary if needed. The fraternity embodied European Enlightenment ideals of liberty, autonomy, and God as envisioned by deist philosophers as a creator who mostly left humanity alone and not the God of the Bible. Masons during the Revolutionary period were the ones pushing for America to break away from Great Britain and become its own nation. James Brown wrote this about Ben Franklin, quote, What influence Freemasonry may have had on the life and character of Benjamin Franklin can only be conjecture, but that it did influence him and his contemporaries in the great struggle for American independence seems beyond doubt. Benjamin Franklin was a master mason in Philadelphia when he published the first Masonic publication in the New World, the Book of Constitutions, in 1734. In the late 16th century, the Freemasons were designed to help create a better man and in turn would create a better world. They believed this was necessary due to the great religious and political oppression during this period. The Bible was used by the Masons, but it was used to validate their beliefs and rituals, although it conflicted with the beliefs espoused in the Bible. The Masons then used the old trade guilds to set up a form of government within the lodges to keep order and promote Masonic teachings. Their theological views created friction in the established Christian churches in America. Notably, the Catholics and Lutherans were the most outspoken against them. While the Masons captured the allegiance of much of the early Republic's elite, the group would fall under widespread suspicion. The William Morgan Affair of 1826 helped to do that when a former Mason broke ranks and promised to expose the group's secrets and threatened its demise. Morgan was believed to be abducted by Masons and killed. The ensuing scandal proved a low point in their public image. The anti-Masonic backlash grew during this time period because of this event. Abolitionists like John Brown railed against the often pro-slavery Masons. 
Prominent figures that supported this attack on the Masons were John Quincy Adams, a former president and former Mason, and publisher Horace Greeley joined in on the widespread castigation. Future President Millard Fillmore called Masonic orders nothing better than organized treason. In 1832, an anti-Masonic party ran a one-issue candidate for president. He captured Vermont's electoral votes. In the early 1800s, the resentment against Masons grew. It became a battle between the elite and the blue-collar worker who believed Freemasons were controlling the government. The largest bastions were New York and Massachusetts. They became the primary rival to the Democratic Party and were absorbed into the Whig Party. American Masons were not above engaging in controversial foreign undertakings. In 1850, a contingent of American Masons and Mexican war veterans invaded Cuba to ferment a rebellion against the Spanish crown. Remember Cuba, that will come back. The group failed to gain a foothold and retreated after suffering heavy casualties. The leaders were prosecuted in New Orleans for violating U.S. neutrality laws. Today, its reputation is bolstered by an affiliation with the Shriners, known for its charity and health work. The Masons' revolutionary and sometimes violent past now serves as a kind of historical footnote that nobody wants to pay attention to as the order established itself as a calm participant in the American social fabric. What about Masonic influence in the government, as the blue-collar workers believed? How much control did the Masonic fraternity have on the creation of our system of government? In 1717 in England, local Masonic lodges created a system whereby they sent representatives to a body called the Grand Lodge, which covered them all. The Grand Lodge then elected its own Grand Master. The experiment, which began in this country in 1788, is one in which states send their representatives to a Congress. And if Brother Alexander Hamilton had prevailed, the Congress would be electing the President of the United States instead of the people. Hmm, gee, does that sound familiar? George Washington reached the top level of the Masons on August 4, 1753, securing the leadership of the influential lodge in Alexandria, Virginia. Washington was not alone amongst the Founding Fathers. Many historians note that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights seem to be heavily influenced by the Masonic, quote, civil religion, which focuses on freedom, free enterprise, and the limited role for the state. Many authorities report that General George Washington's staff looked like a Masonic convention. The list of American Masons in Washington's service included many of his generals. Other revolutionary heroes included Patrick Henry, Nathan Hale, and John Paul Jones, to name a few. The record shows that by 1800, there were 347 lodges in the United States. The following list is a list of some well-known Masons throughout history. As I mentioned, George Washington, James Monroe, Andrew Jackson, James K. Polk, James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, James A. Garfield, William McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Warren G. Harding, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Harry S. Truman, and Gerald Ford. Evidence exists to suggest that James Madison and Thomas Jefferson were also Mason. It wasn't only the successful presidential candidates who were Masons, but some who lost as well. Men like Thomas E. Dewey, Alf Langdon, Hubert H. Humphrey, Robert Dole, George McGovern, Gary Goldwater, George Wallace, Earl Warren, and John Sparkman, as well as Wendell Wilkie and Adlai Stevenson. Well, not the governor of Illinois, but his father, the vice president in 1982, and a native son of Bloomington, Illinois. Parts of the shadowy network, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergers, and more, are sometimes visible to the public, even if the establishment media rarely highlights the significance. Many of the same people that are members of the Masons are also members of the secret societies. Other powerful elements are practically invisible. Secret societies such as Skull and Bones and the Bohemian Grove, for example. But it's clear that the deep state wields tremendous power over America and the world. The agenda is becoming clear. If it left unchecked, a powerful network of deep state operatives fully intends to usher us in to the new world order.
we have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. That was President George Bush Sr. in 1991 presenting his dream for a new world order. Former congressional staffer Mike Lofgren, a top secret security clearance holder and one of the early voices to develop the idea of a deep state in America, refers to it as a, quote, hybrid entity of public and private institutions ruling the country, end quote. And he's right, but it goes even deeper than he seems to realize. And I hope by the end of these reports, your eyes will be opened and you'll understand the bigger picture. The late Georgetown University professor, Carol Quigley, mentor to President Bill Clinton, was for many years close to the core of the deep state. He was even allowed to examine its records for a while, and then spilling the proverbial beans, Quigley put some of his explosive findings in his massive 1966 book, Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time. Referring to the deep state as an, quote, international anglophile network, end quote, the professor said he had no aversion to it or most of its aims and added that he had been close to it and many of its instruments for much of his life. You see how they control the narrative? Even the people that write about them to expose them are actually connected to them. Quigley also offered insight into the agenda and machinations of the real deep state. Quote, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole, he explained. This system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world, acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at private meetings and conferences. Well, those private meetings are the like the G20, or the Club of Rome, or the World Government Summit, or the Bilderberg, as we've already mentioned. This was written in 1966, and most of America just seems to ignore these facts. He goes on to say, There are two governments in the United States today. One is visible, the other is invisible. There are two governments in the United States today. One is visible, and the other is invisible. Today, those words would seem to be out of place. Except we see it happening as they try to unseat President Trump. But they are, in fact, the opening lines of journalist David Wise and Thomas Ross's best-selling 1964 History of CIA Covert Actions, The Invisible Government. Wise and Ross wrote the book in the aftermath of the CIA's disastrous attempt to invade Cuba at the Bay of Pigs in April 1961, an event which precipitated the first serious wave of press criticism against the agency. Isn't it interesting that the Bay of Pigs would become the one blemish on John F. Kennedy's presidency, and you have to wonder, was it his idea at all? Listen to what he says very carefully as I play for you his secret society speech given on April 27, 1961. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, 
There is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program, for from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people, for I have complete confidence and the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors, for as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy 
died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. So even then, in 1961, he was pointing out a shadowy network of organizations controlled by a secret society or a secret government that we now call the Deep State, serving to coordinate the operations and tentacles of the machine. While secretive, many of the outfits that they're associated with are not secret societies, but real. They have websites, they put out reports, and in many cases even make their membership list public. But that doesn't mean they're being transparent, that just means they're playing the game. That these organizations wield incredible power in government, media, academia, the military, banking, intelligence, business, and more is beyond dispute. Their goals are obvious if you're paying attention. There exists a deep, shadowy network of organizations controlled by the deep state to serve and coordinate the operations of this machine. I'm going to tell you more people that are a part of that covert effort. Their goals are relatively transparent on the top of the weed, but the roots run very, very deep. The desire for a new world order has been around for a long time if you've been paying attention. The, the way we're going to win over the long term is not just militarily. We've got to win over uh, hearts and minds. And what that means is we've got to invest in countries that uh, have no educational infrastructure and have no uh, means for young people to, to get ahead. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. World order that I think all of us would like to see. World order that I think all of us would like to see. Secret societies such as the Bohemian Grove, Skull and Bones, and others play a significant role in American affairs. Did you know that almost every president that's ever been nominated and won visited the Bohemian Grove the year before he ran for office? Except for Donald Trump, an outsider from the get-go. But these societies have controlled affairs for generations. And even though we've had exposés and, and videos and things to show that, Americans seem to be paying little attention to what happens outside of what the media tells them to look at. American media audience has become the proverbial cat following the laser on the floor and missing the obvious that they're being tricked into running around in circles. In recent months, public perceptions have started to change as the deep state has been exposed by the words and rallies and rantings of President Donald Trump. Unelected deep state operatives who defy the voters to push their own secret agendas are truly a threat to democracy itself. And thanks to hacked emails and public statements by its members, it's now been pretty obvious that many of the swamp creatures involved in these practices to stop making America great or bringing it back to its roots or making America what it was supposed to be are actually involved in these occult secret societies of America. See, the occult is another key component of the deep state. They see Trump and his agenda, just like they did JFK's, as a disaster. It would expose them, it would cost them money, it would cost them power, and they have no choice but to try to remove him from office. According to at least one insider, it's because Trump is not involved in their secret societies or participated in their ritual, he's not one of the boys. See, when Trump was elected, he promised to drain the swamp, but he underestimated the resolve of the swamp creatures resisting him and how deeply entangled America and the American political system was actually living in the swamp. He ran as an outsider, but eventually under the Republican Party. And in my opinion, he made a mistake trusting the old guard rhinos, who initially he had to pay off favors and put them into positions of power and help them get into office. And we're now finding out that many of those that were close to him were actually plotting against him. Regarding the deep state as a conspiracy theory, David Bossi says that's the narrative that the left wants you to believe. The facts are very simple, and everybody knows it. You just have to think about how we are framing it, which is... There are people in the federal government who have been in it for 30 or 40 years. They have what we call the we own, you rent mentality. The president is only here for four or eight years. They're here for 30 or 40 years. 
and they slow walk your agenda, end quote. Interesting term, slow walk. According to Twitter pundits and QAnon followers, it was the supposed plan by President Trump when he got into office. Was that a hidden clue or a hidden slap by Bossy? Operation Slow Walker, a theory initially put forth by Bill Mitchell on Twitter and QAnon followers. According to Bill Mitchell, host of Your Voice America, hashtag Slow Walker is a sting operation devised by President Trump and then Attorney General Sessions early on to use hashtag Russiagate as a Trojan horse to, quote, get inside the deep state enemy walls and destroy them from within. Time to activate just before the midterms. He posted that on September 18, 2018. Well, we know that that did not happen. Mitchell's slow walker theory, he believed, was that Trump and Sessions had teamed up to prepare a series of actions that would untangle the deep state. Mitchell writing that in Trump's, quote, slow walk to dismantle the deep state, Sessions is Trump's own slow walker carrying out the would-be biggest and best thing ever. Well, the only thing Sessions slow walked was out of a job. Mitchell's theory is remarkably similar to QAnon, which alleges that Trump was secretly working with General Counsel Robert Mueller to expose supposed deep state involvement in a global satanic pedophile ring that involves high-ranking world leaders and politicians. Well, that didn't work out that way either, did it? I'm not saying that that was not the intention, but I think the players that got into the game were playing for the other side. Mitchell claimed that neither he nor his colleagues at Your Voice America are responsible for the postings of Q. He claims rather his slow walker idea came to him from the Holmesian method of deduction and that any resemblance to the QAnon theories is a coincidence. Well, who is or what is Q? Q claims to be a government insider exposing an entrenched international bureaucracy that is secretly plotting all sorts of evil schemes against the Trump administration, its supporters, and the MAGA agenda. The character uses lingo that implies that he or she has military or intelligence background. I've actually seen analysis done by AI experts who believe that Q is an AI who's been fed information to put out at a certain time they believe that the language, verbiage, and even the phraseology and the letters used indicate AI. And it could be both. It could be that it is an insider putting this information into a program that is sending it out there. Now, does Trump have anybody close to him that is entrenched in the AI community? We're going to talk about that at another time. But Peter Thiel, the founder of PayPal, now one of Trump's advisors, financial supporters, and part of his inner circle, is a financial supporter and connected to Hanson Robots. Hanson Robots, you have Sophia. You go to Sophia, you get to the Saudi Arabian government, and it goes on. We're going to do a report on that in the future. We've touched on it in the past, but we're going to have to bring it up to date because it all ties together. Ben Decker, a research fellow at the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at Harvard, describes QAnon followers' narrative as an interactive conspiracy community. You notice that conspiracy term, and if you've been listening and paying attention, I've pointed out that the CIA created that term in the early 1960s to discredit anybody questioning the American involvement in the Vietnam War. Conspiracy theory, folks, has become conspiracy fact. Sometimes followers of Q look for signs and tweets and in statements by President Trump and others as a Rosetta Stone looks for the number 17, which is Q's placement in the alphabet. So when Alabama's football team presented President Trump with the jersey with the number 17, it was taken as a coded signal of Q's influence, disregarding the fact that the group was visiting the president at the White House as champions of the 2017 college football. And they had presented President Barack Obama with the jersey bearing the number 15 when they won in 2015. Folks, if you look real hard for something, you're going to see it, whether it's there or not. But Q is not limited to a fringe corner of the internet. It's got front and center 
presence at the Trump rallies. It's been promoted by celebrities, including Roseanne Barr and former Red Sox pitcher Kurt Schilling, who has a podcast for Breitbart. If you go to the forward slash r forward slash Great Awakening subreddit board, which shares memes from 49,000 followers on its medium-sized board regarding Q, there are Facebook groups, one of the most popular of which has 40,000 members, sharing hundreds of posts a day. Video explainers of Q followers talking through potential con- connected or concocted to- topics have racked up millions of views on YouTube. And the number of tweets are too numerous to count and very difficult to discern whether they are real posts or bot activity meant to disrupt the post. In April 2018, an app called QDrops was among the top 10 most downloaded paid iOS apps in the Apple Store, according to an NBC report. QAnon.pub is a site that was created in March 2018 and has quickly established an audience of over 7 million visits a month, according to the web analytics company SimilarWeb. So is this real or is it disinformation? Who would run such a program and why? Is it possible that Q is being used to draw the deep state into a trap? Or is Q a misdirection to keep the Internet sleuths chasing their tail? And who would use the media to do that? I thought that it was a matter of uh, real concern that planted stories intended to serve a national purpose abroad um, came home and were circulated here and believed here because uh, this would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. Now, we're looking at that very carefully. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to a major circulation American journal. We do have people who submit pieces to other two American journals. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks. This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into an executive session. The Church Committee was the United States Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence activities. This U.N. Senate Committee, chaired by Idaho Senator Frank Church, a Democrat, in 1975 was created to investigate abuses by the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Internal Revenue Service, common weapons of those in power. The 1975 clip of testimony given has the agency admitting on record that the CIA creates and uses disinformation against the American people. Then CIA Director William Casey did in fact say the controversial and often disputed line, quote, we'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false, end quote. He said that in 1981. Well, the quote's been disputed and it's tried to be discounted, but Barbara Hanukkah confirmed it. She said, I am the source of this quote, which indeed was said by CIA Director William Casey at an early February 1981 meeting of the newly elected President Reagan with his new cabinet secretaries reporting to him on what they had learned about their agencies in the first couple of weeks of the administration. The meeting was in the Roosevelt Room in the West Wing of the White House, not far from the Cabinet Room. I was present at the meeting as assistant to the chief domestic policy advisor to the president. Casey first told Reagan that he had been astonished to discover that over 80% of the, quote, intelligence that the analysis side of the CIA produced was based on open public sources like newspapers and magazines. 
the more things change, the more things stay the same. As he did to all the other secretaries of their department agencies, Reagan asked what he saw as his goal. He's asking Casey, what's your goal as the director for the CIA, to which he replied with that quote, which I recorded in my notes of the meeting, she says, as he said it. Shortly after that, I told senior White House correspondent Sarah McClendon, who was a close friend and colleague, who in turn made it public. Barbara Hanukkah confirms this. She was questioned on a Quora forum in 2014. Can you tell us what his demeanor was when he said it? Was it straight-faced and serious? Was he being sardonic or trying to make a larger point? Taken without context, it's hard for me to imagine a person saying this seriously. Barbara Hanukkah's response? Absolutely straight-faced and matter-of-fact. Casey expressed astonishment when reporting the vast percentage of CIA intelligence that was, and almost certainly still is, based on open sources. He was absolutely serious when he said that the agency would be successful when everything the American people believed was false. Though not explicitly said at the time, it was made clear in other contexts during my two years in the West Wing in the highest level meetings that the pretext for this mentality was the claim that in a Cold War era, when communications were essentially instantaneous, the vast majority of the, quote, enemies, then the Soviet Union's intelligence, was also based on open press and media. So the most efficient way to lie to the Soviets was to lie to the U.S. and allied media. Really? Was that your plan? Or was there a deeper, darker plan in place? Well, the American public, believing lies, was considered a, quote, collateral damage. Well, folks, we are damaged, and we're not damaged collaterally, but thankfully some people are waking up. Then CBS president Sig Mickelson goes on to say that the relationships at CBS with the CIA were established long before he became president of the company. Considering 90% of our media today has been consolidated into six major corporations, it's not hard to see that you shouldn't readily believe everything you see, hear, and read in the news. So how did we get here? Well, former President Harry S. Truman, who oversaw the creation of the CIA in 1947 when he signed the National Security Act, he wrote that he never intended that the CIA be more than an intelligence-gathering agency. Quote, I never had any thought that when I set up the CIA that it would be injected into peacetime cloak-and-dagger operations. Truman wrote that in 1963, a year after the disastrous CIA Bay of Pigs operation. And if you don't know much about that, you should look into it. The American lives lost in the folly and mistake that they made. Let me read you a quote from Aldous Huxley, Propaganda in a Democratic Society, Brave New World Revisited. In their propaganda, today's dictators rely for the most part on repetition, suppression, and rationalization. The repetition of catchwords, which they wish to be accepted as true, the suppression of facts, which they wish to be ignored, the arousal and rationalization of passions, which may be used in the interest of the party or the state. As the art and science of manipulation come to be better understood, dictators of the future will doubtless learn to combine these techniques with the nonstop distractions which, in the West, are now threatening to drown in a sea of irrelevance the rational propaganda essential to the maintenance of individual liberty and the survival of the democratic institutions. You see, when an intelligence agency arranges to disseminate fake news, it's called disinformation. Well, the Central Intelligence Agency, which is, of course, what CIA stands for, or you may just call it the company, or you may just call it that entity with three letters. Sometimes people don't want to mention it publicly. Inherited the mantle of covert action operations as a legacy from its OSS predecessor, which had remarkable success in conducting disinformation operations during World War II. And the number of people that worked for the early OSS who are now famous in many other parts of life, are very, very shocking. If you'd like to know one, go do a Google search. Put Julia Child 
plus CIA plus OSS and see what you get. Yes, I'm talking about the gourmet chef and famous cookbook author, Julia Child. So their efforts took a form of clandestinely placed stories in the media, which were clearly untrue, but designed to shift public perceptions of what was taking place in the world. The Vietnam War provided a perfect proxy playing field with stories emanating from the U.S. government and its supporters presenting a the narrative of a fight for democracy against communism, while the communist bloc promoted a contrary tale of colonial and capitalist oppression of a people striving to be free, while the military-industrial complex made a lot of money. In a book called CIA Tricked the World's Best Writers by Joel Whitney, he claimed the CIA created literary magazines that promoted American European writers and cultural freedom, while the others toppled governments using assassination and censorship as its tool. By the way, one of those magazines is a very famous, groundbreaking magazine called Ms. by Gloria Steinem. Yes, that magazine was created with CIA money. Gloria, at the festival, you worked for the Independent Research Service. That's right. Um, well, exactly when did your own association with the CIA start, and in what fashion? They come to in, you, or did you go to them? In 1958, when I came home from, from India, I discussed with uh, student uh, leaders, past and present, uh, many of them active with the National Student Association, uh, this kind of small foundation to encourage Americans to go. They thought it was a good idea, too. I was then told by foundations and professors and friends that it that I should not do this, that I would get in trouble with the House on American Activities Committee, the American Legion, uh, all of those 50s people. Uh, and I became convinced that it was impossible. It was at that point that the student leaders said to me that they had in the past received funds for international programs from the CIA and that they felt that this was important and could also be partly funded by the CIA. Well, I mean, did you feel that you really tried? I mean, did you go around to all of the wealthy found private foundations, uh, wealthy private people, and, and explain your point of view and, and explain why you felt it was important that the United States be represented at these things in a certain way? What did they tell you? Uh, they told me that, well, the Ford Foundation, for instance, told me that they thought we were uh, too liberal and too controversial and that we would endanger their cultural programs in Austria. I mean, the first festival was being held in Vienna. It was not encouraging at all. And the, the private individuals to whom I went uh, often had uh, particular points of view to put forward, which would have been much, much more restricting than, than uh, the CIA funds were, which were free. I mean, no one was told what to say. What do you mean they were free? You mean to say it was easier for you to work for the CIA than a private that's organization? That's right. That's right. And, and the, the reason I think that comes as a surprise, as it did to me at the time. I mean, I had uh, the conventional liberals' view of the CIA as a right-wing incendiary group. And I was amazed to discover that this was far from the case, that they were enlightened, liberal, nonpartisan activists of the sort who characterized the Kennedy administration, for instance. You have not been working now uh, uh, for the CIA since 1962. Mm -hmm. uh, you still criticize. Uh, you were down oh, recently yes. in Washington? <laughs> yes, when the, when the story broke that I had once been, that I have for four years been a Central Intelligence agent. I was demonstrating outside the Pentagon underneath Mr. McNamara's office against bombing in Vietnam. And uh, this didn't precisely fit with the image of a CIA agent, but then neither does the CIA. An agent at a newspaper in every world capital has taken place since 1977, that they could be there to either post or stop stories that they didn't want. The national security agencies of the U.S. government, of which CIA is one, have been suspected of peddling stories for years that were intended to influence the opinion of the United States and produce a particular political response. One of those would be called the Steele dossier that was used to create the Russian collusion hoax 
Very deliberately, CIA Director John Brennan took unverifiable innuendo and presented it for investigation. It was intended to destroy President Trump's reputation before he took office. All of those facts are starting to come out. The players are starting to be worried about their exposure. I'll be curious to see how exposed they become. The, the way we're going to win over the long term is not just militarily. We've got to win over uh, hearts and minds. And what that means is we've got to invest in countries that uh, have no educational infrastructure, have no uh, means for young people to, to get ahead. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of... Uh, a uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. A world order that I think all of us would like to see. A world order that I think all of us would like to see. Is the administration's attack on fake news in reality a covert war between two factions of the deep state? I believe it is, and that's why I'm presenting this to you. I personally believe that the man that went to businessman Donald Trump to ask him to run for office and to fulfill a promise he had made decades ago were a part of one side of the group that didn't like the direction the country was going and believed that had Hillary Rodham Clinton become president, it would have swung in a direction that either A, they could not stop or B, they could not benefit from. I'm giving you my opinion. I believe that when President Trump ran and won, the people behind him were a different faction of the deep state. Why do I think this? Well, we have to go back to Operation Mockingbird, which began in the 1950s. I talked about it in one of the earlier editions of Overwatch. But it ties into this as well, so we have to address it. Basically, what they did was, through cooperation with American publications and news outlets, the CIA set out to fight the communist subversion. Unfortunately, this activity was exposed by Seymour Hersh in 1975 and further described in the Church Commission hearings of 1976, at which point CAA operations influence peddling and their pushing of opinion in the United States became illegal. And the use of American journalists as agents was also supposedly generally prohibited. But if you look at the mainstream media today, you have to believe that it's still in effect, maybe on a different scale, maybe being run by different people. Also learned that the agency, CIA agency, had been working outside of its founding charter, infiltrate student groups and anti-war organizations under Operation Chaos, run by the CIA's controversial, if not completely bonkers, counterintelligence star, James Angleton. Operation Mockingbird began in 1950, to manipulate the news, infiltrate counter-cultural organizations, to steer them, their leaders, their members, and their information in a direction that benefited them. Do we have any proof of this? Well, I'm going to present some to you. It's always been there. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks. This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into in executive session. Uh, at CBS, uh, we uh, had been contacted by the CIA. As a matter of fact, by the time I became the head of the whole news and public affairs operation in 1954, ships had been established, and I was told about them and asked if I'd carry on with them. We have quite a lot of detailed information, uh, and we will evaluate it, and we will include any um, evidence of wrongdoing or any evidence of impropriety in our final report and make recommendations. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to the national news services, AP and UPI. Well, again, I think we're getting into the kind of detail, Mr. Chairman, that I'd prefer to handle in executive session. Senator, do you think that you name the news organizations in your final report? Uh, that, that remains to be decided. I think it was entirely in order for our correspondents at that time to make use of uh, CIA agent chi uh, chiefs uh, of station. 
and other members of the executive staff of CIA as sources of information which were useful in their assessments of world conditions. Would you say that continues today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. According to writer Deborah Davis, Operation Mockingbird recruited leading American journalists into a propaganda network and oversaw the operations through front groups. CIA support of front groups was exposed in a 1967 Ramparts magazine article reporting that the National Student Association received funding from the CIA. In the 1970s, congressional investigations and reports also revealed that the agency had connections with journalists and civic groups, and even though none of it mentions Operation Mockingbird by name, that's the effort behind it. In October 20th of 1977, in a Rolling Stone magazine article called The CIA and the Media, Reporter Carl Bernstein, you know, of the Watergate authors that exposed Watergate, when he still used to be an investigative reporter, wrote that by 1953, CIA Director Alan Dulles oversaw the media network, which had major influence over 25 newspapers and wire agencies. Its usual modus operandi was to place specific reports that were developed from intelligence provided to the CIA with cooperating or even unwitting reporters. Those reports would be repeated and cited by recipient reporters and would then in turn be cited throughout the media wire services. So you see how it works. They plant something that's provocative, fake newsy, and it gets promoted, and it gets published, and it gets promoted, and digital media takes it. And by the time somebody says, oops, we were wrong, it's taken on a life of its own. Let me read you a quote from the article that Bernstein wrote. In 1953, Joseph Alsop, one of the America's leading syndicated columnists, went to the Philippines to cover an election. He did not go because he was asked to do so by his syndicate. He did not go because he was asked to do so by the newspapers that printed his column. He went at the request of the CIA. Alsop was one of more than 400 American journalists who in the past 25 years have secretly carried out assignments for the CIA according to documents on file at CIA headquarters. The article goes on to say some of these journalists' relationships with the agency would tacit some more explicit. There was cooperation, accommodation, and overlap. Journalists provided a full range of clandestine services, from simple intelligence gathering to serving as go-betweens with spies in communist countries. Reporters shared their notebooks with the CIA. Editors shared their staff. Some of the journalists were Pulitzer Prize winners, distinguished reporters who considered themselves ambassadors without portfolio for their country. Most were less exalted. Foreign correspondents who found that their association with the agency helped, helped their work. Stringers and freelancers who were as interested in the daring do of the spy business as in filling articles. And the smallest category full-time CIA employees. Masquerading as journalists abroad, in many instances, CIA documents show journalists were engaged to perform tasks for the CIA with the consent of managements of America's leading news organization. What's really interesting about that article by Carl Bernstein, if you see him now, he seems to have forgotten his own past. The company keeps in the present, specifically fellow CNN contributor is James Clapper, the former director of National Intelligence. I guess he stopped fighting and joined the game. You can't beat them, join them. And that's the end of part one of this report on the deep state wars. That's what I'm calling this. Because there is a deep state within the deep state, and I believe the two factions are at war with one another. 
Next time, we're going to pick it up with some contemporary players in this game. If you'd like to contact us with some topics you'd like covered on Overwatch, go to firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, you can go there and do that as well. I'm Richard Grunn. This has been an Overwatch report on Firefall Talk Radio. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.